John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, we read in verse 31 that Jesus is speaking to those who have believed in him. But it soon becomes evident that Jesus doesn't have a great deal of regard for their faith for he makes it clear that they are slaves to sin, they are indifferent to his word, he says they are of their father the devil, they are liars, and like their father the devil, they are attempting murder because they're, they want to kill him. What kind of faith is this that manifests itself in such a way? Well, as we took note two weeks ago, when we looked at the verses beginning at verse 31, uh, Jesus is able to distinguish true faith from false faith. It's not a comfortable answer. Uh, We don't like to hear that there is such a thing as false faith. We would like to think that faith is faith, and any faith is uh, as good uh, as it is, and as long as you have some kind of faith, you're, you're okay. But But Jesus makes clear that that isn't the case. 
We were alerted to that in John 2 when many believed in him, but we read in John 2 verse 24, he did not entrust himself to them because he he knew them. And again in John 6, there were 5,000 who confessed that he was the great prophet, which indeed he was. But they manifested their faith by wanting him to make him a king to liberate them from Rome. Uh, Not anything uh, like what Jesus had in mind for them. Uh, In John 6 also, we see Jesus making some hard sayings. And after that, many of his disciples stopped following him. Namely, they stopped being his disciples because they didn't like his hard sayings. Uh, And Jesus also in the other Gospels warns us of this when he says uh, the seed of the gospel falls on different kinds of soil and sometimes the people will will receive it with joy but because of uh, uh, trouble or persecution because of the world and uh, the deceitfulness of riches uh, the word uh, doesn't take root and it doesn't bear fruit it's choked out and uh, those people fall away And so the question arises, how do we distinguish true faith from false faith? And two weeks ago, we considered one way in which true faith is distinguished from false faith, namely, those who have true faith, Jesus says, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, if my word abides in you, or you are not my disciple, if Jesus says, my word finds no place in you. And so we saw the need to abide in the word, and I encourage you to abide in the word, not merely by reading your Bibles, but by joining and uniting with the church, because we aren't made to go it alone. We're meant to be a part of a body. The church is a body, and every individual is a member of the body. And the only way the individual parts of the body can grow is if it's united to the other parts of the body. We need each other in order to grow in grace and in strength, in order to be in the Word and have His Word abide in us and bear fruit in our lives. We need to be together. We need to be united. We need to join and unite with Christ's church and Uh, use our gifts uh, for the building up of the body of Christ and be built up by the gifts of others uh, exercised on our behalf. Well, today we want to see another way in which Jesus uh, points out how we can distinguish uh, faith from false faith. And he says, those who have true faith do the works of Abraham. Those who have true faith do the works of Abraham. And before we consider what those works of Abraham are, let's just uh, backtrack a little bit and see how this dialogue is going between Jesus and these Jews who have believed in him, but whose faith is uh, very much wanting. The Jews were claiming to be Abraham's children. And they uh, meant by that not only that they were descended, physically descended from Abraham, but they also meant by that they were the moral and ethical children of Abraham, that they were spiritual descendants of Abraham, that 
they were claiming some kind of spiritual kinship with him as well as physical descent. They were saying, in effect, we are uh, good enough to be considered Abraham's children. We are worthy descendants of You and I might be tempted to say uh, something uh, similar by saying uh, uh, we are true children of the Reformation, Uh, not only physically descended from Reformers. I think some of you might be able to trace your ancestry, physical ancestry, to those Reformers of the Reformation of 1834 in the Netherlands, when uh, uh, people under the leadership of Reverend de Kock and uh, Van Ralty and uh, others uh, rebelled against the state church because of its many corruptions, and they were severely persecuted. And in order to deal with that persecution, many of them came to, well, to Pella, Iowa, uh, to find religious and uh, so you are children of the Reformation, uh, not, uh, but not just uh, spiritually. We in the United Reformed Churches like to think that we're also children of the Reformation in our adherence to the Scriptures as interpreted by the Reformed Confessions, uh, confessing that they do fully agree with the Word of God, not just confessing that uh, we believe the confessions in as far as they agree with the Word of God, which is what the state church wanted to do in the 1830s, uh, say, well, yeah, the confessions are good as far as they go, in as much as they agree with the Word of God. And, uh, but that was not the, the, the subscription that the officers of the church had made for several hundred years already and which we continue to make today, namely that we do believe they fully agree, the confessions fully agree with the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard and uh, the confessions agree with the Word of God in all that they teach summarizing for us the great truths of the Scripture. And so we're not just physically descended from uh, from the Huguenots uh, or from the uh, uh, reformers of 1830s or 1850s or 1890s in the Netherlands, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're their, uh, spiritual descendants as well. Well, that's what these people were, uh, were claiming. Now, Jesus did not dispute the fact that they were physically descended from Abraham, but he did dispute the idea that they were Abraham's spiritual children. He said, if you were truly Abraham's children, then you would do the works of Abraham. Jesus is saying that their conduct disallows their claim. Their conduct does not measure up to Abraham's conduct. On the contrary, they were seeking to kill Jesus, even though he had told them the truth. He accuses them of having a different father than Abraham. He doesn't say who that father is right away. It comes a few verses later. But uh, when he suggests that they have a different father, they immediately get all riled up and say, uh, uh, we're not born of sexual immorality. Now, why would they say something like that? Well, it's probably a veiled reference to rumors that they have heard about uh, the birth of Jesus, that uh, it was all hush-hush, that uh, Jesus' mother uh, got pregnant before uh, she and Joseph came together and uh, that was uh, uh, rumors uh, circulating about Jesus that he might be the product of uh, immorality and, and why a little 
John, after our text, they accuse him of being a Samaritan because he wasn't, uh, his birth was of questionable uh, character. It might also, uh, uh, and so uh, they further respond that they, they have only one father, God himself. Now, that was a, a claim which true Israelites could make all the way back in the time of the uh, Exodus. Uh, Moses declared on behalf of God, Israel is my firstborn. Uh, God is claiming to be Israel's father. And in Deuteronomy 14.1, uh, God says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. Or Moses says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. God is your father. And again, uh, God uh, declares in Jeremiah 31.9, I am Israel's father. And so these Jews say, you know, God is our father. Well, Jesus responds that the only spiritual uh, sonship that really matters is that which manifests itself in Abraham's conduct. He doesn't dispute the fact that God is Israel's father, but he does contest that it applies to those members of the covenant community who are now trying to kill him. They were really God's children. They would act like Abraham. Well, what was Abraham's works that, that he wants them to do? What, what did Abraham do that is so special? Well, the work that Abraham did was that he believed God. We're told again and again in Scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His righteousness, his, his good deeds, so to speak, what, what gave him righteousness was his faith. Not that his faith was a good deed, but Jesus talks about faith as a work to emphasize our responsibility to believe. In John 6, 28 and 29, the Jews said to Jesus, What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Because it's through faith, not by faith, but through faith, that the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to us. And, and Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness because through faith the righteousness of Christ becomes ours. These so-called disciples did not believe Jesus as Abraham had Believed. Abraham also heard the gospel when God uh, revealed in a vision to him the smoking pot that passed through the pieces of the cut up animals, where God was saying, in effect, uh, I will bless you, and I will bless you even if I have to be made like these animals, if I have to be killed. I will see to it that you are blessed. Abraham had asked, how can I know you will bless me? And God swears an oath, I'll do whatever it takes, even die if that's what it takes to bring you blessing. And this, the gospel was further revealed to Abraham on Mount Moriah when, when God justly condemned Isaac, a sinner, to death and made Abraham his executioner but then at the last moment provided a substitute. 
And Abraham said, uh, you know, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide a substitute. The, the, the covenant seed deserve to die for their sins, but, but they won't die for their sins because the substitute will die in place. And, and on that very mountain, Mount Moriah, the city of Jerusalem was built. And the temple was constructed where all the sacrifices were performed in the temple and where in due time the ultimate sacrifice The perfect sacrifice was offered, the substitute on our behalf, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham received that gospel and he believed it and he was credited with righteousness. Now here in John 8 verse 42, Jesus describes believing faith as loving God. Uh, He says in verse 42, "If uh, if God were your father, you would love me. Uh, he's equating here faith with love. In other words, faith is not merely intellectual assent to a body of truth saying, oh yes, I believe that that is true. But faith is believing God and loving Him because of what uh, He has said to us. Only the Jews enthusiastically embrace Jesus and love Jesus do they have the right to be called children of God. Physical descendants from Abraham, circumcision, the covenant membership, they're nothing without love for Jesus. If they were children of God, they would love him, for he came from God and was sent by God. The same is true today. That is, a covenant never saved anyone apart from faith, a faith that believes Jesus, a faith that loves Jesus, a faith Yes, he's the one who is the substitute for me, who died for my, for my sins. Now, Jesus uh, goes on to describe why that they don't love him, why they uh, don't believe in him. Because they cannot bear to hear his word. It's not that his words are so obtuse and unclear that it's intellectual impossible for any average person to to understand you know it's not like uh, listening to some scientists or economists discuss their field in very technical terms no uh, that's not the problem the problem is with the hearer not with the speaker when he healed the sick and fed them well then they thought he was great and when he was seen as a potential leader to overthrow rome well they would loved him and embraced him when he was seen as the great prophet and uh, uh, rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees uh, who had made life difficult for the people, oh, they, they thought Jesus was great. They, they loved it. But when Jesus claimed to be God and had come to set them free, then that rankled them. Set us free? We are, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Which was quite a claim because... They had been enslaved by the uh, the Syrians, the Assyrians, the the Babylonians, the Greeks, the uh, the Egyptians, the the Romans. They had been enslaved by all sorts of people, but in their proud hearts, they saw themselves as free people. And Jesus says, "No, you're slaves because you're you're sinners. You're slaves to sin." Well, they didn't they didn't like that. They didn't like that at all, and uh, they weren't willing to uh, 
to submit to that. They were willing to, to submit to a God who gave them what they wanted. But they did not want to submit to a God who judged them to be sinners. They were proud people. And that made them children of the devil. And so Jesus says, you are of your father the devil, because pride, pride was the, the root sin of, de- of the devil. He, he wasn't content to act as a creature created by God. He, he wanted to, to be uh, independent. He wanted to uh, be his own boss. He did not want to uh, love God and obey God and submit to God as his uh, infinitely good and loving creator. And when the devil couldn't get what he wanted, he became filled with hatred and his hatred turned to murder to destroy the image bearers of God and to silence those who stood for and told the truth. He used lies to deceive mankind and to bring death into the world. Pride was his downfall and pride is what characterized the opponents of Jesus. And they are without excuse for their pride and for their rejection of Jesus, because Jesus is not guilty of any sin. Oh, they accused him of breaking the Sabbath, but he didn't break the Sabbath. He only broke their traditions. They accused him of blasphemy for making himself equal to God, but he wasn't guilty of because he was God and is equal to God. They have no excuse not to believe. The fundamental reason why they don't love him and believe in him and honor him as God is because they're, they're not God's children. They're children of the devil, proud hearts, not willing to admit that they have fallen short of the mark, that they have sinned and become slaves to sin. Now, as Jesus carries on this dialogue, you know, I ask myself, and maybe you do too, why is he, why is he antagonizing them? You know, in verse 30 and 31 of, of this chapter, it says they believed in him. You know, why doesn't he... Take that as a a starting point. So you say, okay, they they have some kind of faith. Now they just need to be encouraged a little. They need to be brought along gently and easily into a a, a better faith. Why does he why does he antagonize them? Well, because the problem was that the faith they had wasn't good at all. The the faith was was a, a false faith. It was a faith in themselves, in their own righteousness, their own goodness, their own pride and arrogance. And Jesus had to first knock them down before he could build them up. He had to show them just how bad off they were before they would see the need. The law has to convict us of our sin before we see our need for Christ. Uh, it's not as if they were basically good and just needed a little encouragement. No, at the root, they were very bad. And until they see that at root they were very bad, they could never benefit from Jesus. And so Jesus has to to confront them and to confront them boldly and to, to cut them down in order to be able to build them up. But he's also doing this, he's antagonizing them And it's recorded for us so that we too will ask ourselves, whose child am I? Whose child are you? Are you one who thinks you deserve to be given all that you want? Wealth, health, happiness with family and friends now so that you have 
your best life now? You know, God often humbles us to show us that that's, that's not the case. Into all of our lives, there comes the, the discipline of the Lord. The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And He does it to, to show us that we need Him. We need Him at the very core of our beings. Are you one who recognizes you are a sinner and that you need charity to be saved from guilt and, and for corruption? It's hard for proud people to admit, I need charity. I, I can't make it on our own. That was the Jews that Jesus was talking to here. Proud descendants of Abraham who felt that they were children of God and deserved to be such and deserved the blessing of God because of their goodness and righteousness. We've never been enslaved to anybody. No, you're slaves to sin. We're proud children of the Reformation. No, you're slaves to sin. And until you see that, Jesus will be of no benefit to you and and God really won't be your Father. And so He humbles us. He humbles us again and again through His Word, through His law, and through providential circumstances. Abraham believed God and loved God because Abraham saw that he was a sinner who had often gone off the straight and narrow path that leads to life, trusting in his own resources, trusting in lies uh, for protection instead of trusting in God. But he saw that God would bless him at God's expense, not his. And so he was humbled by that truth. And he believed God and trusted God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Will you... Reject Christ because He insults your pride and tells you you're a sinner? Or will you humble your heart and so be a true child of God? May God give us humble hearts, willing to love Jesus and believe Him who came to save us from our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your Word, that shows us a proud arrogant people who refused to admit that they were in need of a Savior from sin. Help us, O Father, never to be so proud and arrogant. Help us not to think that uh, our deeds are our righteousness, but help us to see that only the perfect righteousness and satisfaction of Christ can give us a good standing in your sight. Give us humble hearts that embrace Jesus by faith, that we may be assured of your love and uh, that you are our Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.